2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. The world doesn't think that the gospel can change your life, but we know that it can. And that's why we want you to hear these stories, stories of transformation, stories of freedom, people getting free from sin and healed from sin because of Jesus. This is Death to Life. So I feel like God is he's after me. I'm not sure if he's after me to smite me or if he wants to offer me forgiveness. God's sort of bipolar. One day he's this way, the next day he's that way. I see hope for the first time in my life. And to have a God that just comes at you after you've done everything wrong, you've messed everything up, comes up to you with open arms and just said, hey, I'm going to fix it. I love you. I never stopped. You never stopped being my kid. Yo, welcome to the Death to Life podcast. My name is Richard Young, and today's episode is with my guy, Chris. And I have known Chris for, uh, we've been a, I wouldn't even say acquaintances. We ran into each other in college a few times playing basketball and we just reconnected this December. And this story blew me away and there's some tough stuff in it, but there's so much beauty in it. And to see this brother walking in the spirit is crazy. Uh, I think you're just going to be blown away by the goodness of God in this episode. So I'm excited for you to hear it. So let's get to it. Uh, buckle up, strap in, love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Here's Chris. Man, this is real talk. God is loving on me. Colorful and innocent, that's on me. Got me standing in the light and it's on me. It's a new heart, it's a new beat. It's a new thing, it's a new seat. It's a new thing, it's a new dream. It's a new heart, it's a new beat. Yeah. Got me singing like... Um, where, where does the old Chris start, man, in your mind when you're thinking about, uh, who, uh, who you were and what made you up growing up, man? Where'd you grow up? So I grew up in Hendersonville, North Carolina, East Coast. Um, had one older brother. He's four and a half years older than me and born to a pretty poor family, but very devout Christians. I would say, like, very conservative. And um, 
I would say, and I always tell this story when I tell my story, just because it, it really gives a sense of who I am. So back in potty training, and I do remember potty training. Well, my mom would, um, if I would pee in the potty, she would give me an M&M. And I learned how to hold that pee <laughs> and pee a couple times an hour to get that extra M&M. Um, <laughs> That's hard to do. <laughs> and this is like, I don't know, that's got to be like somewhere between 18 months and two years old. And I'm already about that reward and getting some more. And then the next thing that will kind of give you a clue, at, I think, as we try to develop my story and let God speak through it, is every kid probably sucks a finger or a pacifier early on or breastfeeds and this has to get off of that. And my mom, I remember my mom telling me, Chris, you're getting to be a big boy. This is probably, I'm three years old. And she says, it's time to stop sucking your fingers. And I remember the rage in my heart, just like storming off. And I go into a closet in the hallway and I sit there and I pray to Jesus. And I'm like, in my own little three-year-old way, I'm mad. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to stop sucking my fingers, but, and they had taught, you know, you, your parents teach you how to pray. So I just prayed, help me stop sucking my fingers. And I came out of that closet and never sucked my fingers again. And my mom would says, she tells the story. She says, I would go in your room and check on you. Cause always at night, the kids fingers go back up to their mouth. Uh-huh. And it often happens in her sleep. And she said, in my sleep, my fingers would go up to my mouth and it would pull back down. Um, so I guess the two things you can probably tell, I'm extremely strong-willed and I'm about a reward. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and my mom praised me to no end when I finished sucking my fingers. And that began a, a major cycle in my life of needing affirmation, seeking reward, and just that's, you know, the earliest recollections I have of my sinful nature. And you may look at that and be like, how's that sinful nature? Well, mom told me to pee in the toilet. I knew to pee at all, you know, and I would hold it back to get extra M&Ms. And um, even though stopping the finger sucking was, you know, obeying my mom, um, I learned from that experience how good it felt to be affirmed for doing the right thing. So that's where I remember me starting out and everything else just flows out of that. That's really a repeating saga the rest of my life, seeking affirmation. So how do you, how that manifests itself uh, going through grade school and then into into high school? I um, I had this older brother who was uncoordinated, and he did a great job making me look really athletic. And I, somewhere around six years old, I started being able to beat him at basketball, you know, or something like that. And which. He he and I have always been at odds just because of how different we are. I'm athletic and coordinated. He's, you know, deeply intelligent and in the books and reading. 
isolated. He liked to be in his room. I'm in the outdoors running around in the woods. So I'm competing with my brother. And then I learned that whole element of competition and there, until I exceed him. And then I start to get the arrogance. Like, I'm really good. I can beat my older brother who's tall, way taller, um, can push me around. And uh, so I really start pursuing sports. And when I get into school, there's all kinds of opportunities, you know, on the dodgeball court. I'm always, you know, number one or number two pick everywhere I go, every sport I do in school. And my folks are sending me to an SDA school, and there's a whole – and for those of you who don't know what SDA means, it's Seventh-day Adventist. That's just a denomination. Um, I'm at one of the schools, and it's, a, again, a conservative school because my folks are conservatives, so they're going to send me to one. And competitive athletics are frowned upon. But, bro, <laughs> you know uh, you find a way to compete when you're a competitive spirit. And uh, it's funny because, you know, we're out there playing dodgeball. That's competitive. Um kickball, dare base, any of that stuff, you're still competing. And I remember early on thinking, this is silly. We can compete against each other on the playground, but we're not allowed to play other schools because that's breaking the rules. It, isn't it funny how dodgeball sets the hierarchy of your class in many ways? Not, not obviously like the scholastic hierarchy, that's like done in like flashcards or trivia or something like that. But when it comes to the playground, the hierarchy is set by who gets picked first in dodgeball. You got, do you, and then we kind of assign ourselves after that. Do you remember the guy, you know, the the top two picks always in your schools, or at least they were always the captains. I can remember their names, Ryan and Joey. Do you see them in your head? Ryan and Joe. Did you have a Ryan and Joey? Uh, This is how I always felt. I always felt there was four of us who could switch off depending on what it was. But we were all the athletes and the the scholastically minded ones. So like, if it's going to be scholastics, my sister's going to be number one. And I'll be like three or four, so I was comfortable with that. So we were like really comfortable for where we were. It was like, oh yeah, we were at the top of our class, so we didn't, we didn't, feel any sort of way we're like in anything and so we felt good you know <laughs> exactly and i i remember and it's i love that you brought all this stuff up and it's uh bringing up all those feelings and as those feelings emerge i'm remembering like i said all the things that the conflict around me like me thinking okay wait i'm allowed to compete here but not over here and um some of the other places that this starts I really start being upset with what I, I guess eventually turns into what we call perceived hypocrisy you know and huh. my mom chose to let us believe in Santa Claus or lead us to believe in Santa Claus and she uh, she was she really went went to the nines with it and had both my brother and I believing. And then, um, I think from, I think she, to bring it to a close, she, um, she told us Santa Claus died. <laughs> <Dang>. <laughs> or something. She's I like, know. you know what? 
no more toys. And then, He's dead. Yeah, no. The reindeer got him. And then, and then she was like, it, it was actually me. And, you know, she was trying to like, I guess she kind of got pinned into a corner and it really devastated my brother. But for me, it sent, you know, each of us have our own reactions. I'm like, mom's a liar. Oh, no. You know? <laughs> like, my, and she's, you know, I get, so what happens to mom when she lies? You know, when I lie, I get spank, spanked hard. You know, my dad is, uh, came from a farming family and his dad was tough. He was very loving, but he was very tough. And, you know, coming out of the depression and he had four brothers. And so he was raised in a, an environment where their dad kept the, kept the order. And he was the top of that hierarchy you're talking about. And he was believed in that corporal punishment and he would administer, administer it liberally. So my, you know, we're talking uh, in my house that could be a belt. My mom's favorite, a wooden spoon. Lying? Yeah. Punishment for that sort of thing. Or any number of the other offenses. So I start having this conflict in me. And it's interesting because I'm watching my own child develop that. And it's so fun. It gives you a picture back into yourself to see your own traits in your children. When I'll get, like, I'll, <laughs> I eat a lot because I have a really physically excessive job and I'll eat dinner and maybe have a dessert and I may have like another piece of chocolate or something later. And she stares daggers at me <laughs> as I go to the cabinet. Like, why do you get to? And I remember the same thing for me. And I'm looking around at everybody else. Why am I oppressed? Why? I'm intelligent. Why can't I make my decision about what time I go to bed? You stay up and watch TV, but I can't watch any TV. Uh, and that was a lot of the feelings that emerge out of childhood. If we're talking about wow. sinful Chris, I'm trying to track with him. That's crazy, bro. So you uh, you get to high school. Um, how how are you? Do- like, who is God then? Like, your parents are turning out to be some con artists. Who's who's God? Man, I'm glad you said that because I was just thinking. Okay, so there's this whole other side. It's just that whole Romans thing you guys love to talk about that, that Paul talks about. There's two of me. There's two two things at war within me that Paul talks about. And I told you about the sinful me, and but there was this whole other side of Chris, man. I was the most loving child. And like at church, when I went to church, I'm a, I was always been a hugger, just a kinesthetic touch means a lot to me. And I there would be a line of little old ladies waiting at the church, and I would go down that line hugging them. Or, the, or I'd just sit in one place, and they'd come to me. And to this day, when I go to some of those churches, some of those who are still around will will come find me for a hug because they always know I'm good for one. And just always wanted to include everyone. I didn't see people as outside of my – as being better than – a or myself as being better than people around me. And I was a friend to anyone I could be. So, and I believe that, you know, as I connected with Jesus and and tried to learn what he wanted from me and how to, you know, because my parents were teaching, there was no lack of Jesus being taught in my home. And the Bible story books were broken open. And I saw the visuals. I had it in my mind that the Bible was real to me and Jesus was real. And I knew that Jesus wanted me to be that way, but tied up in that, um, anytime I got affirmation for doing that, it really reinforced it. So I'd get, I got sugary sweet 
and extremely charming. In fact, to the point that one of my relatives was nauseated and pulled my mom aside and said, your son is conning you. He's, he's a charmer, like, and just called me out on probably in somewhere in the 11 to 12 year old range. So there were people who were seeing, you know, what was developing in me. And, um, I was on, you know, what we, the collision course we're all on with sin. It was, it was developing, but it seemed like you had this really nice young man who's gifted athletically, completely successful in his studies. And, but I'm seeing the conflict and the hypocrisy around me. And I'm like, why do these people lie to me and then punish me and spank me and hurt me uh, when I do wrong? And one of the other terms, my mom, hi, mom, I know you'll listen to this. Please, like, and my mom and dad. We love you, mom. When I talk about them, I want you to know they're they're the most loving people. They were doing absolutely the best they they could, and and we'll get around to all that. So don't, gentle listener, don't judge them. Keep listening, uh, mom. We love you. So, yep. Uh, so, mom says that I would frequently, like, when I would get caught doing whatever you know wrong, I would do. She would, I would say to her please don't punish me, mommy, I'll punish myself. And I really was. There developed this inner monologue inside of me of absolute like chastisement. And I was so hard on myself. I truly was being harder. And the spanking would just push it through my heart. It was, you know, you don't have to. I just remember thinking in my head, you don't have to hit me. Oh, wow. I get it. And um, so just developed a lot of resentment and started to really, as, as time went on, I started to really need something to up the reward factor. When I would be particularly down from being, you know, if, if I wasn't getting the affirmation I needed or I just wasn't performing right, um, I would spiral into that self-loathing. But it, and then like... I really started getting interested in girls and I found that a little kick or a little reward in, you know, trying to do the little dating game in fourth and fifth grade. And then it escalates. Um, and I found a real, uh, fix in getting in little relationships and playing the dating game. And then eventually, and don't let me get too far ahead. Stop me if you want. Um, this turns into an absolute fascination with girls. Like, I didn't have a sister. Everything was very private. Everything was very secretive in my house, just as it, I mean, we're taught modesty. And I just became obsessed with, like, knowing what what's the big deal? Why are we all hiding our body parts from each other? And eventually, you know, in that process... I'm starting to learn about my sin and I get convicted. I want to get baptized. So I get, I get baptized in this process and like everyone else, you're, well, maybe not like everyone else. When you, when you go to get baptized, they're like, you're going to go down into the water and you're going to come up and the real struggle is going to start brother. That's right. Like I remember the pastor telling me this and man, I just got a shout out to the freedom I'm living in today. I just wonder sometimes if I, if it had been presented correctly, if I understood 
Colossians 2. Mm. Um, what was going to be removed from me and that I wasn't sin waiting to happen and the Holy Spirit was eagerly waiting to fill me. And he did. The, I mean, despite some misunderstandings of the gospel, I believe that the baptism, I don't want to say it took, but I felt um, close to Jesus and like I had done the right thing. And you're, it's almost you're, like they were speaking prophetically. Go ahead, bro. So as you're getting more and more interested in girls and you, uh, you're you heading into high school, where did you go to high school? Still, You're still down there in the Tar Heel State or, or had you moved from, from there? So I'm at Captain Gilmer Elementary School up on the hill from Fletcher Academy. My brother's gone to Fletcher Academy and is... Uh, so I'm in eighth grade. He's a senior. And he's left quite a legacy at Fletcher. And I'm already planning to skip that. <laughs> I'm, there's Mount Pisgah's down, down the way. And actually, a lot of my classmates are going to go over to Mount Pisgah. So right, going back to that being on fire thing for, for Jesus, I, you know, I, I immediately after baptism want to help other people find that. And there's some neighborhood kids, and I'm out there wanting to tell them, and I'm telling them the same way I've been told. I, you present some part of the fun, 28 fundamental beliefs of the Adventist church and probably lead strong with the Sabbath or the state of the dead or find something that, and they're like, take them to the Bible and be like, see here, it's not, you know, what you believe isn't right. And I got this neighbor kid, Mark. Mark might hear this. I love you, Mark. Um, lifelong friend. From that point, uh, he's across the street. He's—I don't think they're really involved in church. Uh, and so I start talking to him about my faith, and we become best buds. We're off in the woods every day together. We start studying the Bible together. We are on fire for the Lord, and and he receives it, and he gets baptized. And the affirmation around that absolutely pushed me over the edge. Like people, you know. Oh wow. Uh, People being like, you you know, you brought your friend to Christ, and how amazing is that? And I learned the hit behind, and then I, from that point forward, perceived or assumed that that's what everybody was doing, and that's how, like, that's just a part of the process. Like, you bring people to Christ, people clap you on the back, you did a good job, you're doing, you're doing your work for Christ, and I figured that that was Christ's affirmation to me, like, because this life, I had hmm. learned at this point that life is totally transactional. I can look back and see that I understood that we're all paying back and forth with our little emotional debit cards or our, you know, I give you this, you give me that. Uh, you're the pastor at my church. Um, you're in charge and you're important. You make decisions. So if I do something good, like you'll praise me in front of everybody else and that'll get me a lot more recognition. So... We go through, we're going through this, and this is right around the eighth grade point in my year, but little did I know that um, as much influence as I was having on Mark, on Mark, he was to completely in the world in a way that I had no pre preparation for. And so Mark's going, you know, going through the changes in his body and life, and I'm behind, and he's telling me, you know, what's going on. And he's got sisters, and he's really the person who educated me on everything, that is human. <laughs> like, I just mm -hmm. no, had nobody to tell me, so Mark did that. Sure. 
And additionally, I just was like, man, I, I have never seen, I don't even know what, what are we dealing with here? <laughs> like as far as anatomy goes, what's like, <laughs> so he's like, I can get some magazines. Yeah. And so, um, boom, oh, no. you know what that story is. Uh, that's how it was back then. I'm so grateful that I didn't grow up in this digital age. I mean, it was, it was hard work to come by some, um, some literature of the night. <laughs> <laughs> some nightly, nightly literature. <laughs> nightly perusing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so he hooked you up so, and, so, and it was on. So we st- and I wasn't really, didn't, I wasn't really ready to receive it. So I saw it and I'm like, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. Like, okay. So I finally, uh, so he's way ahead of me, way more mature. And we were having these discussions and he's, you know, mentions to me about, you know, what guys do. And I'm like, tell me more. Like, what do we do? Like, <laughs> what do we do with these feelings? I have so many of them. They feel like they want out. Like there is a way out, Chris. <laughs> so I got schooled. And, um, you know, just like for all of us guys, the rest is history. A pattern develops and a lot of secrecy starts surrounding that. And, um, trading with other guys and uh, talking about women's bodies and so heartbreaking to hear the other podcasts and realize how I've contributed to that objectification of their bodies um, and not seeing them as people. And I'm so glad I'm new in Christ. I don't have to, he took that for me so I wouldn't have to carry it, but really resonated when I hear that stuff in the podcast. Um, so then, yeah, we move on. I go to Mount Pisgah Academy. Now I'm really serious. I'm dating. I'm starting to date because let's see, let's see how we can explore each other. Even if it, you know, it starts handholding is super exciting. You know, I remember my first kiss. It's just like the stars exploded out of the sky, all those feelings emerging and just being swept away. I have my new place of affirmation. You know, if I can get a girl to like me, if we can experiment a little, I get my little hit, my M&Ms, my stop sucking your fingers. Uh-huh. So a lot of dating and, and just, you know, school is all about just looking at girls all day long and dreaming about who's the prettiest and would she date me? Does she like me? Was that a flirt? Um, and I'm still, you know, majorly into sports. But I'm way more, the truth is I'm way more interested in girls and, you know, showing off playing sports for girls now. So go to Mount Pisgah, do well. I have my first major scandal. I hadn't even, I had forgotten this, but now that we're talking about it, I, um, I'm a good kid. I really am still. But Mark, like Mark had introduced me to a lot of things. I'm now listening to groups like Nirvana, Metallica listening to some dark, heavy music and, and enjoying some raucous and unholy comedy. Yeah. So my dad catches catches me with this album right around this time and makes me play it for him. And and this is a cassette, so it's stopped in oh, one place. No. Where do you th- it is the most obscene part. So yeah. he plays it through. I'm like red faced and aghast. My dad starts weep like did he cry? His head, like he's 
He's heavy sighing. He's almost weep. I don't know. Maybe he was weeping a little bit. He's just like, I can't believe my son, my son. Like he's just uttering these things over and over. What, how are you? Why are you listening to this? This is terrible. Like, you know, and I'm like, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> no, it's not. You know, this is a nightmare. It's, it was just like, this is a nightmare. And this is the t- like, this becomes the tone of the rest of my high school experience. Like I'm hiding stuff. I'm hiding the music I'm listening to. Um, I've got something stashed somewhere usually. And I'm, tr- you know, trying to keep it from being found and and just so much secrecy and oh man so and i also at, at pisgah i got caught up in a little cheating thing i wasn't doing it like i was a really good student i didn't need it but i w- i was on a computer or something and like the grader was in charge of the test or something or a, a, just a little pop quiz or something and they left it open on the computer and i'm like what so i like show it to everybody or or you know <laughs> And that I just thought that was it. I was like, oh, he left it on the computer or whatever. And hey, look. And everybody looks and crowds or, or I don't know, something to that effect. And I got in big trouble for that. I remember getting in big trouble. And like, again, like, so I like I I get on a computer. <laughs> it's already on and like just have a natural human reaction. Oh, my gosh. And I, because I showed people I get in trouble. So I'm getting in this cycle of getting in trouble and. So I try to pull back into being a good kid after that. I really puckered up after that. Um, the the school year ends. Um, nothing really more memorable. I will say this. I got to be a gym worker that year. So I played so much basketball. We would mop. We would, I think, I don't know if we had the, the cleaning gym routine down to like 35 or 40 minutes. And then it was like three or four hours of basketball. And I really honed my skills then. <laughs> so by the end of that school year, I knew I wanted to be on the team at Mount Pisgah. And I think I might have tried out and I didn't make it. But they were these were big time people. And then the news comes that my folks, my dad's um, been offered a job at Union College as the physician assistant, Ooh. the first PA program director. Uh, John Curb sent the infant. Um, invitation I had we have relatives who live out there and they had told them about my dad and my dad's at that point a career PA graduated from Kettering probably in some of the first classes uh, teaching PAs which was a new profession at that time they did it for Vietnam vet like vets with uh, medical experience it was it became like a new shortcut into the medical field for them so Dad really feels called, and I watched their process of picking and deciding and putting it before the Lord and laying out the fleece, and they came to me and let me weigh in on my part. What do you think, Chris? Do you want to go? And so I was like, well, tell me about this place. Do they have basketball? Are there girls? <laughs> they confirmed it. There were. <laughs> and they are like, well, we could, you could come. We've seen a hoop in Nebraska. <laughs> I've seen a hoop. <laughs> so... I, I go. To, I find out more information about the school and College View Academy participates in interacademic competitions. I'm like, you know, it's not Adventist schools again. Adventist schools. We're talking. You're playing legit teams, and or you know, you're playing Lutherans, Lutherans, and <laughs> West High and North High. So yeah. I was, and so when my folks present this to me, they're like, "Would you?" 
Would you like to go out there and you'll be able to live at home? So <laughs> I was like, let's go to Nebraska. Let's play basketball. Let's do this thing. So you get up to CVA. How's it, how's it go there, man? So I get there and I'm an outsider immediately. These are kids who have, like me, as, as if they came up through Captain Gomer went to Fletcher. They have George Stone. Oh, dang. What? Helen Hyatt, Georgetown, yeah. Helen Hyatt, and then, you know, they've been in school since kindergarten together. They all know each other. There's 77 people at the school. And I'm this uh, feelings guy from North Carolina coming in with just all the extra that is me and super loving and engaging, and they don't know what to do with me. And I'll never forget when we get, we're talking about being in school out within the first months of me getting there, some girl started a rumor that I was like, had multiple personalities or something. Oh, mercy. And so I, I get in this. Yeah. Just because I, there's so many layers to Chris, you know, really loving, but competitive and aggressive and charming uh, but conflicted, wearing the big old baggy Jinko jeans, and listen to this music. There's so much <laughs> conflict there, and I think she was right. I, you know, now that I look it back, I could see why she would make that assessment. Um, just very, very layered guy. So that any type, and so from then on, just just like I said before, any of these type of things would send me spiraling. I needed you to approve of me. I needed you to affirm me. So I couldn't think of much worse than somebody thinking I have a mental disorder. That that means exile. So I go on a charm campaign, I think. And I am playing my best basketball of my life. Um, we have I I play with a summer group for a coach that's really affirming and just constantly telling me how great I am and doing great. And I go in supercharged and there's a varsity and a junior varsity team at that time. And I'm definitely full-time junior varsity starter. And then I'm subbing in varsity games. And uh, there, it's CBA has got a decent team at that time, but they're coming off the glory years, as they say. Um, I'll drop some names, the Bach family, like Brady and Nick, and they won some, I think they won some titles, but it's becoming mediocre. We're talking 50, 50 on the wins and losses and, uh, mm -hmm. it's very competitive. I'm really wanting to prove myself and it's really giving me energy. I really like that atmosphere. I like to prove myself. So we come up to the top, we're playing the top team in our bracket, which is, I think they're a C team and we're a D team. So it's even, they're above our bracket. They're better than us. And we're behind and nine, we're down nine in the fourth quarter with like five minutes to go. And we cannot, we have been trying to close the gap. And one of the guys on, he's just worn out or he's just not performing that night. And the coach is like, get in Wetmore. Uh, so I get in and I hit a three within like 30 seconds get fouled, hit free throws, or do a defensive play, 
come back, get fouled, and hit my free throws, and suddenly we're within four. Or, I don't know, it's close. And there's a little back and forth, and we, we get down to the game's end. There's seconds left. We have the ball. We're down. Yeah, I think we're still down two. And the coach decides we're going to we're gonna take a three. And I figured I'm, I came in hot and I was proving myself and, and he doesn't even, he, uh, he designs it for another guy. Another guy, the a senior had hit a game winner from mid court. So I know exactly what the coach is thinking. We're going to try to set this guy up again for a game winner. And I'm like, what, like I'm hot. Like, what are you doing? But <laughs> okay. So he tells me, He's like, Chris, I want you to set a screen for him. He's going to do that. We had the little play we were running. So I'm supposed to set a screen on his man, spring him free. They're going to throw the ball to him. He's going to heave it. And, I, you know, we try to do it. We try to pull it off. Um, I go for his man. He gets, like, I don't know. Something goes wrong. They're, the screen's not there. I'd have to moving screen the guy to get him. And so... I just head the other way to, to give another option for the inbounds. And the, he, the guy gets it. He can barely chuck it. I don't even think it made to the basket, you know, because he was, you know, he's so well guarded. And we get down to the locker room and my coach is shaking. He's shaking, bro. And he's so mad at me. You cost us the game. He said it in front of everybody. He 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 pulled everybody in. He and he he berated me. Uh, well, he just he let well, you know, memory. Who knows what it was? But he definitely let the entire team know that I had cost us the game. And again, the conflict emerges. I'm like, what do you mean, cost us the game? I brought us back to where we had a chance. But I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have the power or the place to say that. I'm just shaking now, and I'm de- devastated. And I could never play. I, I, it just ruined our relationship. Um, I tried the rest of the time I was there to play good ball, but I could never outlive that moment. Um, mm. So, and I did, and, and I still, it, right, my senior year, I was the only senior on my team, and I did have another moment like that, but where we got to, and we actually won the game in sub districts. So it's not like, I had my moments, but when people don't believe in me or when they do stuff like that, it just forever alters what I can do in the relationship or there's a, it triggers that or it would trigger that part of my uncenteredness in Christ and self doubt. And I couldn't perform. So Hmm. basketball became a sense of a place of pain where it was giving me a lot of affirmation. Uh, at the same time, a couple other things that happened at CVA is I was I was um, the, the kids that took me in were definitely the outsiders or outcasts. Like I said, because I didn't come up in the core group or the people who were into the same type of music. Um, I think Corn was a band that had just come out. They come out with their self-titled album, and there was a few of us that were rocking out to that. And one of the guys. He was a lifer there from Helen Hyatt, but he was uh, he was definitely into some stuff, and he more than anybody was really brought me in, and 
made me feel a part of something. And I, but I found out that there may be some drug use. And I've always been a hardcore, no way, no how, no drugs person. Mm. In fact, in Lincoln, I had started a, a group that went into grade schools and just gave them say no to tobacco presentations or say no to drugs. And I have this best friend who's clearly into this stuff. And I remember having a conversation and being like, I don't know what you're into or what's going on, but if I'm in the car, please don't have it on you. Right. And I'm, it's a no for me. And that kind of strained the relationship, but we still were, were boys, but they, mm -hmm. him and another guy were really getting into it heavy. And I started hearing, he started telling some crazy stories. I'm not going to get into what they were, but I started, it's stuff that would make anybody concerned for their friend and for their future freedom. And mm -hmm. one of the teachers at the school who I was got along well with approached me and said, hey, I'm really worried about your friend. I'm like super worried. In fact, a lot of us are worried. I don't, you know, don't want to put you on the spot. And I, you know, but we could really use some help knowing what we're seeing here. Do you think there's drugs involved? Would you tell us? Um, we really want to get him help. I remember that phrase like it as clear as a bell. We want to get him mm. help. And I was like, heck, yes. I want my friend to get help. And I don't know how to help him. You're an adult. Let's look to you. You're Take the lead. Okay? I mean, like, yeah. He's... He, yeah. I come to school the next day. He's expelled. Mercy. And my recollection is that people knew it was because of me. At least a, a group hmm. of people. And it just, there was some real hate developing for me. Um, so this just fractured my entire paradigm of trust especially since it ruined my social standing. I, I did not feel, I already didn't feel welcome. Now I felt, you know, I'm not a snitch. And now I'm a snitch and whew. so I, I disappear back into girls, which is a place to retreat for affirmation for me and get in a really long relationship, which ends up breaking up before the end of the year. My my senior, I broke it up. I was scared to death. We were headed, like, I don't know. It was just a little high school romance, and I just couldn't handle it. I think we dated 18 months or something. And she was a sweetheart, and everybody felt like I did her wrong, and they're right. You know, I just got mm -hmm. scared. But I didn't know how to say I, I'm scared, and I can't, like, I don't know what to do. I'm not ready to get married. I'm not. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm getting ready to go to college. I don't know what I'm going to see. How do I take? I don't want to lose or miss out on the college experience. And I, I can't take this relationship in there. It just doesn't feel right. So uh, at that point, I'm 100% not cool and not welcome at all. And I'm sleeping through classes. It became such a moniker and a joke. I'm I'm. I'm clearly severely depressed at this point. Um, and I'm living a double life in every single way, as many young men do. And I just can't 
and I'm just, I can't get any affirmation. And I make a friend on my street. Wow, it's almost like eighth grade all over again. Who introduces me into hip hop. I think Tupac, one of Tupac's All Eyes on Me album. And now I'm adding rap music to all the other stuff and hearing some of those messages and still not interested in drugs. I know my friend smokes weed. I'm not doing that, but I'm like, that's the only friend I've really got. And so we just hang out endlessly. And I even bring her and take her to the probably one of the banquets at the school. Um, we were never romantic and we weren't into each other, but she was my only friend. <laughs> like, so we went and did that and end up uh, graduating from high school. And it just feels like it's a real, like, I remember leaving CVA and being like, I'm never going back. And I'm cool with that. So anyway, I'm carrying a whole lot of feelings into college. And I am struggling for some identity, Rich. Struggling. I got to find it somewhere. And I'm like, okay, I've got a new startup at the college. I'm going to go play for the the Warriors, the Union College Warriors. I don't make the team. I don't make the team. I can't believe it. And so I, you know, I pour myself into the social component of Union and end up becoming the financial vice president of the ASB and just... I go about winning people other ways, but I'm deeply and forever altered by this, you know, because I'm I know I'm good. In fact, my intramurals team won the championships that year. I'm scoring 30, 40 points a game. I'm like, these guys are idiots not to have me on the team. And I started to make my conclusions about that. And again, once again, hate the adults in my life who are just the hypocrites to end all hypocrites. Uh, so I get into the social aspect and I'm dating. I mean, just, and when I say dating, like I just constantly developing some chemistry with somebody, um, occasionally having a two or three month little dating relationship, go to some banquets, go to, you know, do stuff together. And then, um, so we come to the end of the year and my bro, my brother Ken is working at Nasoka Pines Ranch and invites me down there. Really excited to connect with my brother. He and I have really mended our relationship at this point. And but like I said, there's a secret life there. And I remember nights sitting in my cabin, reading the Bible and, and just really feeling the intensity of the struggle within my heart and wanting to do right and just feeling the immensity of something standing before me. And the rest of that summer story is about getting caught up in a, a whirlwind summer romance with another staff member. It's, a, it's just a whirlwind summer thing. And um, we're, we're working next to each other. So it's, uh, and it has all the elements of my life up to this point. There's a lot of hiding and um, short and quick, uh, I am no longer pure. I can't say that anymore. And um, and I couldn't have been happier at the time. Like 
finally, like done with this. I'm, I've been done carrying this. Uh, it was a burden to me anyway. I've always wondered what was on the other side. Thank God it's over. And um, couldn't happen with a better person. Yeah. You legit felt like that, or were you like saying that to protect yourself sure. from feeling guilt, condemnation, Absolutely and shame? Thinking, I'm just telling you the thoughts that were in my head. That yeah, I had a and just like every single one of these sagas I give you, you have a build up. You think it's going to be one way, and um, I'm like, we'll go on and get married. Like is, we're going to keep this. It's hot. It's you know, it's what I always imagined a romance would be like. It's nothing's ever been like this before, and. We come up to the end of the summer and she she starts getting um, weird-ish and she's crying a lot and she won't tell me what's going on and uh, we come up to the uh, it's about time to, to end camp and she's like I got I mean I got to tell you something like I'm engaged and I'm going, I'm going back to him. And like, this is over. And that was it. I thought you were going to tell me she was pregnant, bro. <laughs> I was like, no, Jesus, fix it. <laughs> no, fix it. Take the wheel. All right. So, man, now, now I'm really careening. She's engaged. You didn't know she was dating someone? I, I just, I can't believe it. To my recollection, I have no indicators. I, I just, uh, I, it came to me in my memory out of left field completely. So I try to put my life back together mentally, but I am ruined. So I go back to Union and just, I'm a mess. So I get into theater, into the theater group at Union. And we mix with other schools. So we have this element of the outside coming in again and offering something to Chris that's missing. And I watch, they are having the time of their lives. I'm miserable. I'm miserable. I'm trying to date. It's all falling, like, not working out. Uh, and, but I really find affirmation in the theater. And I we put on... Um, the Boys Next Door, and it's a huge hit. It's well-reviewed in the local papers. I have, an, I have an awesome character that I really pull off well. Uh, and then we do... And then the final nail in the... Okay, so this is, this is where it all goes. Like, we do the Salem Witch Trials. What is that name of that play? Um, anyway, it's about the Salem Witch Trials, and I play Reverend... Henry Hoffman. Miller He's, is... A, or Jan yeah, Arthur Henry, Miller... Arthur, yeah. the Crucible. It's, it's, the Crucible. Yeah. We do the Crucible. And I, uh, I'm Reverend Hawthorne, a very conflicted individual. He's good and he's bad. And, and it's really a, a telling tale of who I am at that point. And I absorb the role. And one night I'm playing ball. I'm still working in the I'm, gym work as a repeated a gym rat. So I end up working in the gym. I've been working for Rick Spaulding. For years now and one night we're doing late night basketball and I take a an accidental charge like I'm just in the wrong place and I get bowled over and my head smashes against the floor and I come to 
realize I have lost all sense of time. There's like one person left in the gym and I'm looking around like, what happened? Oh, mercy. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Something's wrong. Like, I don't know where I'm at. What, I don't know what year it is. So I smash my head good and I go to the ER and it's a, it's a mild concussion. But I have lingering effects and I'm not well. And uh, finish out the year very, de- very depressed. It's a dark. Lincoln has hard winters already, so we're midwinter. I've played a dark role. I am descending. And I need a way out. And I have all these theater friends who are living their best life right now. Yo, low. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm talking to them, trying to figure out what is up. And I hear that they're going to parties. And uh, there's this new... Uh, drug out on the scene and they tell me all about it I start looking it up of course I'm, at first I'm scared for them but I'm I'm really just at such a dark place and I'm so burnt out and I can't find affirmation in a healthy way I didn't feel like I did a good job with the Reverend, Reverend Hawthorne role because even if I did he's a hated figure and so uh there's a, we're coming up on the end of the school year, and they, this, the other kids are from the other school put on this awesome Greek tragedy play. It's set to modern times, and they have a rave theme. I didn't know what any of this was. I went to see it, and it was off the chain. Glow sticks, black lights. I mean, they had the whole production, and our lead was over there with them. Tony was in it, and man... So there's going to be a big party uh, to end it. And I go to the party in short story. I had done a ton of research and I get high for the first time. And man, man, Rich, like it was all the feelings I had been looking for. All the feelings. Uh, I returned to this. One, one of the things about the drug is, you know, I can, again, I, you you know, I'd said I'm a really loving person and I've been looking for that love everywhere and I just cannot find it. I try to be it, but inevitably you, ha- you can see the littered past that I'm living in. When I think I have it, it's gone. It's taken from me in a second. And now I have at my disposal the opportunity at will to command those feelings back right now. And I'm in a really bad spot. Probably had a brain injury. And... I feel so good and like I've got a new lease on life and I fully I remember that night fully committing to my heart this is where I'm going Hmm. and I had no problem living a double life it's what I've been all along anyway but I've got a new path to go down this one's definitely not going to disappoint me I can administer it at will and I shut down the party that night Uh, I was the last person there and I was asking for more the first time I ever used drugs. Uh, when everybody else was happy to have their fun and go on, like, we got an exam tomorrow, hey, we're going. That was awesome, thanks, guys. Uh, and I was so sad for it to end, but I went on to, some, to work at summer camp that summer, and now I'm, like, <laughs> I'm amongst the most Christian awesome kids, and I'm trying to find out who is... <laughs> Who's, 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 who's holding? Like, <laughs> like who's holding? Yeah, it was. I was. I'm sure I weirded so many people out. Hey, anybody got any drugs? Uh, so 
at the same time trying to pull off the Jesus role. And that's really who I became. And at the end of the summer, but I never found any. I was just too lame. I think there was just a lot of really good kids that year, and I was probably the one bad apple. <laughs> and so I never got to hook up again. Uh, never. I mean, I used drugs the one time. And it's coming to the end of the summer. I have a commitment to go back and be yearbook editor at Union the next year. Uh, and I get a, I, there's a call comes in the office for me. They pull me up. They're like, your brother's calling you. And he needs to talk. And see, I, he's on Guam at this point. He's a missionary with his wife. They're working for the Micronesian Conference. And he, I go up there and he's like, Chris, we are in a desperate situation. We, uh, I don't want you to be pressured, but I just want you to know, I want you to talk to God. They need a, a librarian slash anything guy. Sub subclasses, do the yearbook for the, you know, just take care of lunches. It's a big, broad role. And we don't have it. And we can't seem to get it. Would you pray and see if you think you should come out here? And I pray and on it and get back to him and I really feel like I'm being called to go be a student missionary. But I had never I did not have that inkling. Of course Union know Union is the college of the golden cords and those golden cords represent mission work. Mission work is a big part of Union. It's not that I haven't heard of it. I just really hadn't rung my bell or and my, my own brother's doing it, but I really hadn't seen my life going that way. But nothing's really going to plan anyway. Let's escape. Let's Let's go see what an island in the Pacific Ocean could hold for me. Mm-hmm. We put funding together last last minute, and I get out there in time for the school year, and they send me to live in my brother's house uh, with him until they can get some housing for me. And um, I am, at this point, so craving another run with drugs, I cannot describe the feeling to you. It's like at night I think about it. I have the music or similar music playing and I'm imagining being that party again and just wanting to be and have that feeling and I'm on this island I'm getting ready to start my mission work living with Ken and Rochelle and my brother and I have this disagreement and I have a long pattern of just poor decision like just impulsive thinking and I had the church was right across the street from my brother's house and I hit I was one of the students at this school I realized that I was talking to one of the students at school and we hit it off and she, uh, she's like you're living with your brother oh wow I've never seen where they live I'm like, oh he's right across the street so I'm like let me show you I walk her across the street he's like he lives right here and I walk back and my brother gets I don't know if he caught me got wind of it something he lit me up He's like, don't you ever do that again. I don't want you to get caught alone with a girl, let alone a student. You need to check yourself. And I just, I came out, I just didn't, what? What did I do wrong? Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Uh, And that just, again, all the feelings, like I'm living with my brother. It's like I'm back in my parents' house. And I just, I remember the chaos turning in my head and... I just got to get some relief from this. So I managed to find out through a local 
Remember the CD stores? <laughs> They've got flyers, and I call the, I pick up one of these flyers to a party, and it looks like it might have something to do with this music I know is associated with this drug that I liked. And I call the organizer, and I think probably within three or four weeks, this is within three or four weeks of me landing on Guam, I have this guy come pick me up on a Friday night. I sneak out after Ken and Rochelle go to bed, and I spend the whole night out at a party and I drag my behind back in at four or five and I don't remember when I'm sure it was either that time or the next time I um you know I start I'm so good at making friends and getting connections I was in on that scene eventually I move on campus at Guam Adventist Academy and I'm sharing a space with two other guys the accountant and the science teacher and I've got some independence. I have access to a car. It's not quite so hard. And I live a double life the whole year. Um, actually even went on to, to play some of the music and get in with the organizers and really can't talk about how much I got involved, but it was serious, very, very serious, what I was doing, what I was involved in. And um, we, I was by the end of the year, I was put, putting on the parties and behind the turntables on the records and um, now what's happening at GAA, you know, I'm like during the day sometimes when it's, a, when it's a between period, I'm under my desk for 45 minutes taking a nap in the middle <laughs> of the day. My behavior is weird. Um, people are worried about me. Um, Mid-year, a tragedy happens at the school, at the clinic there on the island where my, one of my roommates is moonlighting he he spent time at the school and at the clinic a gunman comes in and opens fire kills five people himself and five people oh, and my roommate gets shot in the head uh survives it the bullet passes in his ear and goes off his skull but he's in the in the uh ICU for a long time didn't stop my partying 3 months later my other roommate is uh, I'm out partying probably Friday night and my other roommate is over at the school and encounters burglars trying to break into the computer lab where they're already in. He sees lights on. He goes over and check it out. They smash him in the head with a baseball bat and he winds up in the hospital for a long time and my house is empty. So I'm bringing people over. Oh no. I'm like, I'm wiling out. And um, eventually, it's like the last week of the school year, and word is out. I think I may have even been so arrogant as to invite a t another teacher I struck up a friendship with to hear me on the turntables at a more low-key venue. Because um, I was friends with another DJ, and we are making money on the side, just at bars, spinning whatever music. So... I thought I was going to stay on island. I had become so well-connected and so well-liked. And I was just going to stay and lead my double life. And they were like, in fact, you can leave early. <laughs> like, you're out. So I have to head back stateside. And I know that a whole lot of this is getting out. So I, I'm trying to cover my tracks. And so I go to southern I decided I'm going to go to Southern the next year to avoid some of the blowback from what, what's happened on Island. And so I wound up at Southern 
still le- leading the double life big time. Um, Things are really getting serious. I have now changed. I've now added different drug cocktails to what I'm having to take to stay high and be happy with what I'm using. And there's some real effects starting to happen. I started actually getting in trouble with the local notorious (laughs) College Dale Police Department. A car of mine, I did not know this, my car's speedometer was running six or seven miles per hour too slow. And I'm getting pulled over like multiple times and and I run 10 over and they're clocking me at 15 and I'm starting to, like these guys are crooks, man. Not knowing that my car's got a defect in it. And one of these times I end up trying to run when they, so I'm like, yeah, I pass them. I'm, I'm late coming, I'm coming in late one night and, uh, I pass them and I'm like, I'm just going to gun it. I see him flip on me and then I pull off and I'm like, maybe he'll go by me. I'm just going to try to get lost. But he pulls in behind me up the driveway and I just wasn't in my right mind. I did some maneuver and I get pulled out of the car at gunpoint, short story, and wind up in jail for the first time. And they got me on a baiting arrest and, uh, it's crazy being in jail for the first time, being a pretty good kid, but this was coming. So I I make up this, I'm, I'm starting to get into a terrible pattern of lies, like deep, deep lies. So my folks get me a good lawyer, the whole thing gets dropped and expunged. I move on about my business um, and I'm shook though. I just can't believe I've already been to, I'm a junior in college, I've been already been to jail for the first time. But it's really not that surprising. I can't believe I didn't see. And this is one of those places I call a definite off-ramp where I could have reorganized my life or taken another, you know, like just gone to somebody and be like, I'm, a, I'm in over my head here. I, I need some diversion. But I was, you know, everybody, you get locked in on college. you got to finish. you got to push through. And, and then I've been dating this, this girl. She's a real sweetheart, a real good what does she think about all this? She doesn't. Oh, she. She. Everybody in my life was buying with via the charm and everything else. The lies I was peddling. So everybody felt bad for me. Basically, felt like I've been wronged. And then we find out my car has a odom like a speedometer problem, and it's like, oh well, yeah. You know, Chris is. You know, it makes sense now. And. So I don't like Southern. Southern's not my cup of tea. And girlfriend isn't necessarily happy there either. I want to go back to Union bad. Union's got such a wonderful family vibe. And again, I'm just constantly trying to start over. I'm okay, I'm going to do things right. I'm going to get, get this right this time. And so I go back to Union, wind up engaged. Um, but I fall back into my old ways, you know, when the stress hits, I'm looking for drugs and a hookup and, and going out to clubs. And I wasn't ever much of a drinker, but I was always out at the clubs trying to find drugs or at least get connected to people who knew who had the drugs. That's all I was about. And eventually I get caught at union 
doing drugs on on campus housing with another student. And I get in serious trouble. Union puts me in a diversion program. I hear I hear about Narcotics Anonymous for the first time and all these other avenues for help for people like me. And I'm just like, I can quit this. This is, you know, no, that's not for me. I'm not that guy. I'm not sick. I'm not a junkie. I'm not, you know, not shooting anything up. I don't need a, any of y'all's help, but I'll definitely do better. And my fiance at that time obviously hears about it and breaks up with me. And um, I, my my self-esteem at this point has taken every hit it can take. And I beg her to take me back. Like, um, give me a second chance. And I really did try. And um, it seemed like I was turning my life around pretty good. And who was, uh, uh, I thought. Who was God, man? Oh, Whew. Oh, so complex. At this point, God has has given me he's he's purchased my salvation, but I've got to do the right things <laughs> to keep it. Like I'm in a constant game of trying to say I'm sorry for what I'm doing wrong and I'm constantly missing his expectations. He's constantly having to offer me his mercy. I'm a disappointment, but at the same time, that's okay. God is love. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. Uh, God's a God of, you know, He's really protective over His law, and I'm starting to think, I'm really starting to get sketched out because I'm thinking back to what happened on Guam, and it just seems like everything around me, bad things happen around me, and I feel like I'm that Aiken in the camp. So I feel like God is sniffing out the, the bad seed, and he's getting ready to cast me out. I'm starting to feel uh, hunted by God, hmm. and that's, that's who God is to me. He's after me. I'm not sure if he's after me to smite me or if he wants to offer me forgiveness. There's a chance it's either way, but God's sort of bipolar. One day he's this way, the next day he's that way. Based on how you're acting? Exactly. One of my favorite Bible studies that we have is on Wednesday night at 8 Central, and it's called, what's it called? It's called Love Reality Steady Night, and it's hosted by my man Tyler Morrison, and it's topical, and man, the last few weeks have been on boundaries, it's been on what do we do when we're hurt, and uh, we've had guests on there. It's just an amazing Bible study. If you are interested in joining this or any of our other Bible studies, email us at steady at lovereality.org and we will hook you up with all the details. I think you'll find there'll be a huge blessing. So you, you beg your your fiance back. You're taking that that takes a pride here. What what comes from So that? to me so to me we, we we now merge back in with the earliest set of issues well not the earliest the one that happens to adolescence for everybody i'm like okay and my, my fiance and i were not engaging uh we, we were going to save something some part of that for marriage as many people try to do and i hadn't been in, i've been mostly candid 
with how prolific I was. Uh, it wasn't a lot of sex, but just a lot of different relationships. So I was kind of downplaying all that. And she hadn't, I was her first relationship, and I really, really didn't want to ruin that for her. Uh, we had already gone way too far, and I was like, I can turn this around. We're going to make a life together. And, you know, we were going to wait for marriage. And I figured marriage would change everything. Marce. You know, I knew how good sex could be. And I expected, okay, if we get married, I'll. I think this is the thing that's been bothering me all along. I'm a young, virile man, and I need an outlet. <laughs> and if I have that stability, I'll level out, and things will get normal for me. And what do you think happened, Rich, when we got married? More of the same. More of the same. Probably a little bit more magnified, though. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of expectations, a lot of disappointed people. I'm gonna leave it off there because it's not really, not my, not not really in my place to say anything more. I think people in marriage have a right to privacy, and up until sure. that point, you know, and I, you know, I've never we that that marriage ended up in divorce. I will say that, um, just so I can say this that I've never been able to say I'm sorry to that person because. I'm not welcome to ever talk to that person again. That's a sting, you know, because I, I lived such a bad life during our marriage. Uh, so the next, well, the especially next years, knowing what you know now about who that guy oh, was, oh, and what I was going through, what I was really searching for, and I was hoping, you know, I was looking to this person, thinking we'll solve it together. My issues that you really only have a. A snapshot into and because I'm not an I'm not an honest person at all right at this point yeah I don't I just don't there's so much drugs my my mind is entirely clouded it's just like Romans talk talks about with your mind being turned over to the sin you're in you just I was completely caught up in it and I'm the double life continues so I'm disappointed with how things are going in the marriage almost immediately and within six months, I had quit using and I turned my life. But within six months, I was so like, again, like, oh, man, I don't I could read the writing on the wall. This will not last. But I was doggedly determined. I will not be that person who ends up in divorce. I held on to that like ideal that it's at that time. It was still such a taboo. You don't quit on the marriage. And so I ran to drugs to try to stay in. And so I'm going to just fast forward a little bit. We moved from, oh, I, okay. So we moved from Lincoln. She gets a job and I'm, I've been fired from my last job. I'm sort of spiraling career wise. I had come out of business school. I was actually four credits short of my degree. They let me march and I just never finished. Uh, and I was telling everybody I had a, a bachelor's degree and people are probably checking my checking that and finding out I'm not there yet and uh, so I can't get a job right. so I have some unfinished business related to whew, drugs and whatnot left in Lincoln so I go back within a few weeks to tie that up 
there's some money involved and I go back and my connection doesn't have anything and I go to somebody new and I get some absolute fire. Like I have never, I don't know, I hadn't come across this and I was shooting up at this point and I went out of my mind. Uh, I, the first incident, I was staying out there, I was with this charismatic, I went back, this guy lets me, he's supposed to be house-sitting, he's like, why don't you just stay in this house that I'm supposed to be house-sitting, you can take care of it that night. Then I'm totally whacked out in my underwear, running around the house, freaking out, doing what I do on drugs, and I accidentally lock myself in the garage, I spill something in the kitchen, go out to the garage for a broom, turn around, the door's locked and shut, and I'm, I don't have a phone, and I'm in my underwear, in my boxers, and... <laughs> I waited all morning. I think the owner got home and I had to be like, I heard him roll up and I had to quick, like, I think, I think I've raised the garage door. I was like, Hey, I'm watching your house for this person. <laughs> and I'm out in your garage. I got locked out. I spilled something. And my friend of, of course was terribly embarrassed. I mean, it was, it was a scene wow. to say the least. And from this point, like he's mad at me, he drops me off and I, um, I go back to the, to the, to the dope house, hook up some more. And then I, my phone rings and it's my brother and everybody's been trying to reach me and I'm just on this whacked out trip and my ex is freaking out has gotten in touch with my brother he calls me and we had this really wild exchange where my brother's like chris i don't know what's going on in your life but you need to tighten up now like tell me what's going on let me in and i like do my little pretend thing like nothing's going on and no you're the one who's out of line and don't be coming at me like that bro and i think i said the lord rebuke you to him <laughs> <laughs> and I will never forget this next moment. My brother says to me, no, Chris, the Lord rebuke you. And it was like, bam. I was, I don't know what happened. I just lost my mind. And I took like, I, and the Lord, I think the Lord rebuked me. I don't know. Like, I take off walking out of Lincoln. I start to hallucinate that the end is here because the end of my life is here. You know, everything is falling apart. And I start walking and I leaving stuff at different places and I'm picking up the phone and calling people and telling them it's the end of the world. You got to run to the mountains. And I'm calling like, I think I, my, Rick Spalding might have been one of the people, an old boss, some union people. Uh, and I start walking out of Lincoln and I make it maybe seven miles outside of Lincoln. <laughs> so I'm going to Colorado. I'm going to live in the mountains. The Lord's going to provide for me. And you were high as a kite then at this. I was high, high, high. I was, how high are you? Hi, how are you? Hi. Uh, So I start to run out of gas and come down a little bit. I'm hungry and thirsty. And I start knocking on people's doors, asking in the name of the Lord for food and water for my mission to Colorado. So, needless to say, the sheriff showed up at some point and invited me to come with him. 
on an all expenses well <laughs> uh, on a uh, mandatory stay with our friends who evaluate people who are not well <laughs> so they put me in a a psych unit on a 36 hour or three day retain what something like like this and now my family gets involved everybody's like found out and um my life is forever changed and the hiding is largely over and the secret's out of the bag and now um now i moved to prisoner in my own home they wanted me to go to some treatment centers i end up bouncing around some places and wind up back in Hampton and trying to put it together and it's just a cat and mouse game from there on I'm not able to shake it I'm completely in the grips and Hampton's a totally different experience than anything I've ever been involved in when I go out on the street there I don't look like anybody and they don't look like me and I get involved in some really tough stuff and um, man, I'm seeing some major crime happening. Uh, I'm involved in stuff to try to support my addiction at this point. Again, just cat and mouse. I'm being. Are you? you know, di you're divorced at this point? Not. No, I'm still married. I'm. Uh, you know, I'm stealing from us. Stealing. You know, there's a safe in the house. I try. You know, I'm breaking into it. I'm. You know stealing cars to go get high, doing just, it's, it's craziness. And I finally, um, I, and I'll have these lulls in the middle. I, at some point in a lull, I'm doing pretty good. We've, I don't remember what, and I'm gaining some trust back and we we make friends with somebody who's a neighbor of ours. We're all at the dog park together and we, we end up watching his dog for him, and in his house, one of the times we went in, there's this monstrous change jar. And I just, just so happened I got enough of the layout of the house that I, I figured out his there was a doggy door that I could fit through. And I started hitting that change jar. And then I went on to other things. Um, he had a company vehicle, so I was using his vehicle. I was just in his house, just taking his stuff, going to get high. Um, while my ex was at work and um, I finally get caught and there's a couple of sets of hands we're going to talk about I'll never forget when this guy confronted me he had frying pan sized hands a big fisherman came to my house and demanded that I come outside so I go out on the front porch puts his hands around my neck and starts squeezing and I remember starting to lose consciousness and being like I deserve this I deserve this this is how it's it's going to end and he finally like let's go and says no I'm not going to let you out that easily but I do want something from you I want you to come down to the police department with me right now um, they've already been to my house and I can't prove you've been doing it but I know what you've been doing and if you want to be any kind of a man come own up to what you did. So I, um, I went down and I confessed to what I've been doing. I begged, um, every detective, every, um, every person I countered in the 
criminal justice system, I said, look, I really need help. I know I do, and I want help, but I just don't know how to stop. I don't have, I've lost that ability to stop. And I'm going to tell you guys everything, and I'm pleading mercy. Like, you got, just try to help me. I know you can throw me under the jail, and I'm trusting you. And they all came through for me. I spent 23 days behind bars and um, almost got killed because of my mouth. Um, again, I was on, even though I've been running the streets for three years with these guys, um, I just didn't know how to handle myself in jail, right? And so I almost got killed. They had to move me a unit and uh, they, they shipped me out pretty quick and put me on what's called pretrial and got me out of there which is bail for people who don't have bail money. So meantime, I finally start, they start making me go to mandatory intensive outpatient classes and they start suggesting you gotta try Narcotics Anonymous. And so I go to some of my first meetings and I find out other people who have stories like me and a whole world opens up for me. Um, These people are able to show me how to put a pause on it or at least um, the program calls it uh, arresting, like putting handcuffs on your disease. You don't ever gain control. It's like you put him behind bars and he's still there. He could get out. You have to, you have to maintain your recovery to keep your disease of addiction arrested. And then another incredible thing happens during this time. My my dear great aunt Barbara has been affected by an incredible series called Victory in Jesus by Bill Liversidge, and she's a huge Liversidge fan. She's got a just like boxes of his tapes and I've got nothing but time and she sends all this to me. I listen to all his sermons and the Victory in Jesus series for the first time in my life. I hear that I'm not under condemnation, Hmm. which is a huge, like unbelievable, like me sitting here, absolute wreck of a human being, disgusting in every way. You're telling me I could, it's, it could possibly be that way that God could feel that way about me. So I'm just ingesting the message and, you know, stuff like Ephesians 2, that there's nothing we're doing in this of our own, like, it's all God's work that he does for us, that even faith is the gift Mm. that God's giving. And this is all new to me, Rich. I can't believe my whole life I've been through Adventist schools, Adventist education, and I just, I had no idea. I thought I was earning it somehow or working for it. And this revolutionized my life, and it led to a point. You have victory in Jesus. Oh, oh. Some of the things that I'll just unpack a few of those things, and now we're, you know, now we're finally really getting into good stuff. And thank you to everybody who's hung in there. I know it's a long story. And thank you, Rich. Um, thank you, Holy Spirit, most of all, for being here with me and being my words, because we want to talk about you and what what you do in people's lives. So this is 2007 and I see hope for the first time in my life. I know I'm free. I just don't know how the mechanics work. I don't, I, I get the concepts. It's what I always hoped or wanted to believe God could be, but I just, I, I didn't see that from my Christian community. Honestly, I had never experienced anybody who was really living this. Uh, so you mean you're reading Victory in Jesus and you're like, 
you you're just like yes i believe i have victory and like the book and his sermon series doesn't work on your heart man it just finally made sense i find i i knew about powerlessness i might and i learned that in narcotics anonymous i have no power i and to hear the fact that Jesus did everything, it all made sense for the first time in my life. I just couldn't get control of the sin that was in me. There was just nothing, no amount of behavior modification, no amount of threats. I mean, murder, like nothing could slow me down or stop me. You know, threats of divorce. Uh, I didn't want to get divorced. I was trying to hang in there, but I just, I didn't have it within me. And so to hear this message, I, I remember so many times just crying, weeping, thanking God for how good he was, that, that, that this, this finally had to be the reality of, if, if God is love, that has to be how God is. How awful to sit there and dangle, okay, I'm going to help you get a little bit better, and so you can really, really struggle. And I can hear Pastor Bill's voice, struggle. Yeah. <laughs> he would talk about, put down the struggle, and stop trying. And he... In some of his talks, he said, now, beware for, the, for every one of you that are falling down on your knees and thanking God for this incredible revelation. There are people at the same time reaching down to pick up stones. And I suddenly realized how dangerous and life-changing and life-threatening this message is, why it's cost so many people their lives. It's completely outside of our understanding as human beings to understand God. We are completely transactional. We're transactionally based. All of our relationships are that way. And to have a God that just comes at you after you've done everything wrong, you've messed everything up, comes it to you with open arms and just said, hey, I'm going to fix it. I love you. I never stopped. You never stopped being my kid. I never stopped being proud of you. I hated what sin was doing to you. That's the only thing. I just hated the sin. I didn't want it to hurt you anymore, and I'm here to fix it for you. I'll do the whole thing. Just believe. Will you just tell me you'll believe I'll do it for you? That's all I need from you. Just say I believe. And I, I wrapped my arms around it, and it made all the sense in the world to me. So everything's on the everything starts shooting up. I even get like a call from Fletcher Academy back in North Carolina inviting me to become the assistant dean the next year how, and I don't think any I don't think any again a lot of this has been so secret I don't think anybody knew how bad my life had blown up oh okay I'm like they knew this and stuff wasn't, and then they were asking I wasn't, you no I oh, wasn't okay. telling anybody Lord have mercy <laughs> where do you think this is going so this is a windfall in my poor marriage I mean she's been supporting me for the I mean Three or three years. I started supporting us for the first two years, and then she supported me. And that's what I always rationalize in my well, I had took my turn, and she's helped me through my tough time. And um, so we, and it was just like, oh, finally, Chris has got a way to support us, and I can rest. And came back to North Carolina, and I knew I was in trouble within the first few weeks. Like the rule structure, none of it made sense to me. I'm straight off the street. I don't have any common sense, but there's a Liversidge Victory in Jesus series coming, and I am over the moon. I'm just, I'm shaking with excitement constantly. I'm just so excited to show the Adventists. Like, I know that we don't get it. And uh, 
I'm definitely taking all the boys in the dorm. I've lined up a bus to go to the Victory in Jesus series. It's over at Hendersonville Church. And and I'd asked to be able to take all the kids, any that were willing. And I was expecting a lot of girls to be coming from the girls' dorm as well. And I think we had one girl. And I was like, where's everybody else at? And I... I was desperate for, for the kids to hear this message that had changed my life. And I, um, I went over into the dorm lobby. I'm like, what, you know, like I thought there was a major announcement, the bus, you know, like, and I'm trying to call the deans. I'm trying to figure out why nobody's like, am I, what should I do? And there's a girl in the lobby there and I'm like, Hey, we got to go. This thing is starting. Can you run through? We're going to knock on everybody's door real quick. And let them know we're leaving. And and so I like run up and down the halls of the, the girls. Um, not banging, banging on doors at the girls' dorm saying, the bus is leaving, the bus is leaving. And um, needless to say, I was fired Monday. Um, I don't, you don't need to know anymore. Somebody with not enough common sense to know that. But I went and I still, I went to the Victory in Jesus. I took the kids that came, went to the series I think I even dropped some of this, like what God had done for me, thinking it was a good idea. There's just, I did so many things that weekend wrong. And the worst of them was I was in terrible back pain the Friday. And I know that what caused me to lose my absolute mind over this thing was I had taken, my wife had had a dental procedure and she had some Vicodin. Oh, no. And I took some of her Vicodin that Friday. So that's what had loosened me up and made me just a idiot. Um, so I was called in Monday and I was fired. And I very, I didn't, I felt very wronged. I didn't understand it at the time. And everything just came collapsing in. The, everything went icy. I mean, just here we go again. You've ruined our lives again. A lot of I hate yous. And I just couldn't bear it. I couldn't bear it. And I tried to hide some more. Like I was having the back pain. So I started taking, took a few more. And then I stopped being able to distinguish between the back pain and the mental pain from what I was going through. So I was in full-blown relapse at that point, And... Um, By, by December, I was out of the house and our marriage was definitely on the rocks and going to end. We were, the divorce word was 100% in play. I was uh, back on anything I could get my hands on. And I was playing a whole lot of cat and mouse games with my family. Um, kind of bouncing, trying to use my folks to stay at their place. Uh, just using members of the community who were trying to help me going and staying at their places, but still using. And finally, here comes the second set of hands. I'm at my folks. My folks loaned me their car one night to go to a meeting. They're trying to get me to go to meetings because they know that helped me. And I come home 10 minutes late. And my mom confronts me, but I've been using. I didn't go to the meeting. I actually went and used. And my mom confronted me and she could tell I was high. And I tried to lie about it, and I got really nasty about it. And my mom started crying, and my dad came in the room, and 
grabbed me by the arm. I have never felt, man, other than like, like I said, being choked around the neck, never felt another man put his hands on me like that. I feel like he lifted me off the ground, took me down to my room, like never took his hands off me, stuffs my bag, walks me out to the edge of the property and says, don't come back. You're gone. If I see you, I'm calling the police. And I walked off into the night. And that night, I um, I had to bury myself. Like I, I had worked at a landscape company. I learned that mulch was warm at night from being hit by the sun all day. And I went and buried myself in the mulch that night to stay alive. And uh, I finally, um, I finally broke. I think I lived home. I, I was homeless for some amount of time. It's all really, really foggy. I was in and out of homelessness. The homeless shelter was always being brought up as where if I needed somewhere, I could go to the homeless shelter. And um, that's as, as welcome as I was anywhere. And I remembered my friends in NA and I had a, in my little backpack, I had some NA literature and a list with numbers on it. And finally, when I came to my senses a little bit, I called a number on the list and got a, a ride to a meeting and I recommitted my life to the the NA way of life. And I just wasn't sure what to make of what I ex- experienced with the whole victory in Jesus thing. It seemed like it had been a mirage, maybe. And I was really struggling over it and struggling with my relationship to Christianity. What does this all mean? So I committed to the only thing I knew that worked and I did the narcotics in it anonymous thing as best I could. I got a sponsor right away and went to a meeting every day and did everything anybody told me to do. And my life just picked back up. Um, The divorce ended up coming through. um, So we were split and which was good because it was so toxic by the end. I just was so thankful that that person would be able to have a good access to a good life. I knew that I was the reason their life was ruined and I knew how much they hated me for what I had done. And I couldn't live, I couldn't outlive that pain of, of being looked at that way since so much of my identity is built in affirmation. So NA helps. So God brought me to NA and then NA brought me back to God. So NA lets you get to know God over again. You get to start over with any concept of God you want. And that's why a lot of people are really skeptical of it and kind of freaked out by it. But it was really cool. I had a little ceremony where I let go of whatever God I had been serving my whole life. I just said, whatever you, whatever I thought you were, I buried it, got rid of it. And I said, I'm ready to see who you really are. I want to get to know you. Um, not what other people have told me, but I want to know you person to person, individually. So I go through the whole experience in recovery, and I really am blessed and benefit from the steps. And my life prospers. I start a little side hustle and a, a business. At first, it's just like, I'll do anything you want. I have a little pickup truck. I'll haul your trash. I'll pull your weeds. I'll transplant your plants. I'll cut a limb here or there. And then I build a, a tree business. And God starts speaking to me in this process. He's speaking love into my life. That so many beautiful encounters with 
with God. And I didn't, I wasn't worried about what that meant, if it was the Christian God, who it was, but I felt something loving me and caring for me and shaping my life back. And of course, there was lots of invitations, like I'm reconciled with my family by now. They see the change in my life. Things are getting better. And um, I'm, and I have a, you know, I know I have a history of toxic relationships at this point, and I'm trying to break free of that. And I'm asking God for help on that. And God um, works a miracle and springs some things free in my life. And I'm, for the first time in my life, I'm just happy being single. I'm happy being alone, <laughs> um, loving being, helping other people get clean and stay clean in NA. And I've got my own little community. And like six months later, God taps me on the shoulder. I don't know. I, I can't. The time frame is rough for my memory. I know the Holy Spirit will give me anything I need to remember exactly. But I hear God say to me, Chris, I've got somebody for you in my little prayer times that I'm doing. And I'm like, what? It's like, yeah, I want you to go on Christian Mingle. And internet dating has just really hitting. This is 2011. Yeah, 2010, 2011. And it's still one of those like really taboo people who do that. Are you desperate? Can't you like make a friend in real life? And I'm like, this is crazy. I'm not doing this. I'm not. And God's like, no, really, I've, I've got someone for you. You've got to meet her. And you'll know when you see her. And here's what I want you to, to write. So I make this crazy profile on Christian Mingle. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not doing any endless emails. Uh, we got to meet within the first week if you're interested. Here's what I'm about. I'm real like straightforward and um, I kind of like put the fishing reel out there and I get a, a lot of bites and I know immediately. I'm just like, nope, we'll meet. I'm like, nope, that's not it. That's not it. And then I start emailing. Um, I, I don't know. I see this. I, I wasn't willing to go outside 100 miles. And right inside the perimeter, 99 miles in Charlotte, there's this girl who's moved from Ohio. She's new to the area. And I just send her, I don't know, I'm in a good mood. I'm sending uh, love out into the world that day. And I, I'm like, welcome to North Carolina. I'm so glad you're, you moved here. Uh, here's some great things to see in North Carolina. I just did a really nice email. I wasn't even trying to like date you or just like, hey, I was just, it was almost like, what we do now on people's Facebook page, just leaving a comment or saying something. And we, for about a month, we just, this really witty banter and crazy, <laughs> endless email chain <laughs> emerged. And we just started like commenting on life, trying to date on Christian Mingle. And then um, I'm not even really seeing what's happening, but um, she she's like, him get my subscriptions ready to be ready to be up are we going to stay in touch or what <laughs> and so we exchange numbers and um wind up meeting in person and whitney wetmore that's her name spoiler was, alert <laughs> she's the one wow she's what i've been waiting for my whole life so but you know 
he, God, in his mercy, reached out and gave me some stability. Whitney is so such a stable person, and I'm so all over the place and so extra. And um, he just taught me through, and we were both searching. We had both been through just chaos. I'll never forget two months in, it's getting pretty serious, and i got to have to talk with her. Like, we got to talk about who I've been. So I sat down and said, look, I go to these meetings and there's, you know, I didn't mean to hide it from you, but it's not exactly something you lead with if you want to be with somebody. But I've been in a lot of trouble. I'm a recovering drug addict. And um, I understand if you need to walk away, but before this gets any more serious, you need to know what's up with me. And she did. She walked away. Um, She went home to Charlotte where she was at. Um, I didn't know if I'd ever see her talk to her again. She spent one night, I guess, in a lot of prayer and talking to her mom. And at some point, she reached back out to me and said, I can I can live with your past. Um, Whitney showed me a lot of God's love early on, and we were both searching so hard. That, um, I think she did the responsible thing. She showed me so much character to, to, to walk away. You know, like, yeah, I need to go think about this. I'm not just going to be like, oh, that's okay. Right. And so we really grew together and and we were searching spiritually. And Whitney and I were not the same denomination. And I really wasn't trying to be a denomination at that point. And but we were putting our heads together on spirituality. And I kind of was kicking around some of the things I had learned in victory in Jesus and being like, here's kind of what how I see God. But I was raised with the Ten Commandments being the center of the importance. You know, keeping God's law is really important and performing and doing the right thing. Uh, the church, I went, and so I, I laid out the SDA beliefs and Whitney's like, and, and that's all in the Bible? So I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, it's here and it's there. and like, But I mean, they've got their problems too. Like they don't, I don't think they've really got the grace thing down. And she's like, well, let's go to that church. I'm like, ah, eh, I don't really... Really? Really didn't want to go back to the SDA church. and But we ended up, um, she wanted a church family. And she was doing the Presbyterian thing in Charlotte. And she really wanted truth. She wanted to be following Bible truth. And Whitney's been a huge North Star that God sent me to help me stabilize. And, you know, year after year, I've been putting clean time together. And she's been um, supportive of that. And we've been growing together. And we had so far to go. Whitney couldn't even pray. She couldn't even say a prayer out loud when we got married. She just wasn't a I'll pray with you person. So we have we've grown so much. And at this point, I got to backtrack because I missed a really big, important part of my story. Um, So I had had this is back in uh, Lincoln in college, I'm, I know I'm in deep trouble. Well, I'm, this is back in my first marriage. Uh, I'm in a world of trouble. And I remember really seeking God. This is during that charismatic phase I was talking about shortly before, like before I went off the deep end real bad. I, um, I spent weeks on end in my Bible, on my knees every night, begging God to help me have victory over this thing. Just 
pulling out, I, mean, I would take the Bible and read the stories out like I was reading it to God in front of me and, and like, you did this for this person. You were willing to ha- heal this, you know, the woman who had the issue of blood, all she had to do is touch your garment. And I want to be free from this addiction problem. And I can't, by any of my own effort, get free of it. <laughs> and one night when I'm in the middle of this pouring my heart thing out to God, I had this incredible moment happen. Um, I don't really know how to explain it, but one moment I'm there in my living room. The next moment I'm standing in like in front of this. I, I know I'm up in heaven some, or somewhere out in the in the outer realms. And there's this council of people who have my case in front of them and they're discussing all the requests I've made of God and every, they know all the details of my life and they're asking me questions. And I'm just like, what is going on? And I'm just pouring my heart out to the council that I'm in front of begging for that healing that Jesus has promised and that he's so capable of giving and I can tell that something's not going well with what I'm saying. It's not sitting well. So they keep asking me questions and they'll bring up stuff I did. And, um, well, how does this relate to that? And how do you know, and I just kept, then I just started getting on this thing. I'm like, but it, it's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. I kept saying, it's all Jesus. I, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't explain to you why I deserve it. It's, it's something he did. And, at that moment in the corner of a room, a figure appeared and like I looked up up, and I'm like crying, bawling at this point because I can tell the council is not going to be able to help me. There, there's there's nothing that can be done for me. I'm I'm probably going to die from this thing and a drug addict. I'm, I'm shooting up like people die quick after they start shooting up and in the corner of the room, I look up and I, I see the most loving eyes I've ever seen in my life. Looking back at me, just purity, just truth staring back at me. And, and he says, this one's mine. This one's mine. And I can't walk. I've, I've lost all strength and an angel's next to me. An angel carries me over. I go in a side room. And um, I don't know how to explain it, but I was able to have a minute with my Savior. And he spoke a bunch of things over me. Some of it I knew right away, and some of it, like, as the events happened, I knew that he said, this will be the path or how you'll know you're healed. And one of them was the call to Fletcher, the person who called me. When you get this call, your path to healing will start. And then the other one, so, and and the other one is actually the Death to Life podcast. But then he spoke a bunch of things over my life. And I was just sitting there holding his hands, just holding on to him for dear life, just loving him and looking at those nail prints and... The next thing I know, I'm down on earth, and this 
this encounter I had with Jesus in the middle of my addiction, I had never been able to make any sense or understand why it happened, and especially since some of it got sealed up. But one of the other things he said was, when you get to N.A., sit down and don't leave till I tell you. And so when I did finally get to N.A., I knew to sit down and stay there, that that was where God had told me to be. And... I had seen all these miracles and progressions happen, and I knew that Jesus had spoken it over my life, and I knew he, I was his, but I just couldn't make heads or tails of why, like, why did I have to wait? Why did my healing, why couldn't he just speak over me and make it done? Why couldn't I just put off this sin? And uh, so this, like I said, Whitney and I have been on this journey, and we've been hot on the trail of this. I've known I'm searching for something. And we came in contact in 2018 with some incredible fire gospel preaching. Uh, Ivan Blake at Fletcher Church had been, I didn't know this, I was at another church locally, but he had been giving them Jesus for eight years at that point. And I remember, and religion had never helped me, and Whitney and I are trying. We are doing our best. We're struggling through issues. We misunderstand each other constantly. Some of the same stuff is coming up, um, as always comes up. And and then we then we find uh, a church that's there. They're actually in that church right now. Their, their motto is lifting Jesus up and loving people in. And the first sermon I heard in this church, Ivan said, Jesus came to end religion and replace it with himself. And I knew I could feel part of what Jesus said over me, that I had found the place I was going to receive this healing. Or, I don't know, the context I was going to receive this healing finally. And we've been just, Ivan's been bathing us in in Jesus for several years. I actually sat down before we came over with him and had a three-hour heart-to-heart that just is one of those cherished places in your heart where you really have a moment with somebody in Christ. And they really, you can tell they get it. And so really loving group. Whitney and I are loved on. We're starting to escape some of the, that legalist, uh, got to do right. And I'm really starting to believe, man, this, I'm listening to Victory and Jesus series over and over, but I'm missed. There's something missing, Rich. There's something missing. Like, and I'm not saying that Bill didn't get it. I don't know. Something missing for me. I couldn't get. There was. It was the whole life in the spirit portion of this. Okay, I get that. There's no condemnation for me. But now what? Now what? Now what? Not, and um, so one of our friends here at this church is listening to podcasts and I'm preaching a lot of the victory in Jesus stuff. Like I've, I've always been in leadership. I've been an elder for years at different churches. I teach in Sabbath school. I've, I've been speaking this, this victory in Jesus stuff for years, but there's been some missing parts. And so my friend introduces me to, she's like, you got to hear this death to life podcast. It's real stories of people getting changed and getting free. And I'm like, her? And then she dropped your name, Richard. And I'm like, I went to school with a Richard Young. 
huh, I wonder if it's the same. And I looked it up and it was you, and I was like, I got to hear this. And I listened to Tyler's story. So this is back, I guess, the end of last year. Um, what, what happened as soon as I, that As soon as I heard Tyler's story, yeah, big, big shout-out, big shout-out to Kirsten, Kirsten Russell. She's the one who introduced us. Her, that's my best friend's wife, uh, Justin Peterson. Big, he's had a huge impact in my life. We're the, from the parable of the prodigal son, I'm the younger brother and he's an older brother. And we've had so much healing together in the last two years in our friendship, just going over this idea of it's really the two ways to be lost. You can be lost right inside the church trying to do it all right. You can be lost out there at a party. Um, but the truth is, if you don't know the Father's love and His stance towards you, what ha- what He thinks about you, you'll always be out of position with Him, with your back to Him, outside the party, outside the family gates in another country, trying to find happiness and love when the Father's love was always right there. And you know it as soon as you get back, you see His wide open arms and His silly run, His old man run, running towards you to grab you and embrace you. So I knew, and again, like bells from heaven, and I could see, I literally saw Jesus' face. I was in that vision again in that moment with Jesus at some point in it, and, I'm, and I saw and heard his words, and he's like, go be a part of it. This is it. You're free. And I'm like, huh? And I know you and I have had some conversations, Rich, about this, because it's like NA has been Wait, sort of hold my on. lifeline. Yeah, go ahead. Help me out with this. So... What is it about the first, you said you listened to Tyler's episode and something struck immediately or either listening to both Tyler and then Morgan's or what was hitting you at first that you're like, this is different and this is what I've been going after for a while now. Right about when he, so, oh man, I've been doing pretty good holding it together. I'm gonna try. So he, uh, man. He talks about being good. It's the six-month period where Morgan hates him. He's he's let her know what's going on in his life. And he has peace. And he endures the endless, like, ridicule. And I'm like, that's it. That's the peace I've been looking for. The peace in in, in him talking about his approval. I, I mean, it just it clicked. My big sin, my need for you to like me. My need for you to approve of what I'm doing, it just blew off. I guess it's the big lie that just keeps, has kept me bogged down. Um, I just got free and I could see it. I could see that even in my attempts to live in victory in Jesus, I was still trying to buy God's approval by knowing this message. And I just, a component of me unlocked. That's all I know how to say. And, and the, the, the experience I had had with Jesus that I'm, I've always been scared to death to tell anybody about because I think they'll think I'm a whack job. Um, and I don't even really, I didn't even know what it meant. What, who, what was the council? Who were those people I was talking to? Why would they have my case in front of them? Like, uh, and one of the other things that Jesus said over me is he'll never stop talking about me. Hmm. He just, he loves to talk about me. And I did, I, I, but I just didn't have the context, Rich. I didn't understand Jesus' heart. Uh, I didn't understand how he was gentle and lowly. And this, this idea of Christ's humility, Christ, 
his heart for me is, I guess the word gentle is also used for the meek. He's not somebody who comes up to me with an agenda. He's, he's literally seeking after me. He's the older brother that's missing in the parable that should have been out looking for the younger brother. He's always seeking after me. And I realized one of the big things is I've wanted to be pursued. And here all along, I didn't know that Jesus was pursuing me through each one of these things. He's preserved my life. So, I, so much, yeah. No, man. It, we, you hear it, and you, did you immediately contact me? Was it almost like the next day, or did did you sit let it sit for a couple of days? Oh yeah, man. I was shaking. Like so much of this, it just so many things snapped into place. I don't know. It's, you see it in the movies, like these moments where somebody has something, and I just, I've always felt like I'm behind. Like Ivan, when I came to. To Fletcher, Ivan had been here eight years and he was getting ready to retire. And I feel like I was on the end of the wave. And when I started hearing, you guys just started getting this. You guys were getting this at the same time I was, you know, moving into freedom. We're all getting this together at the same time. And it just, I knew, I what I've been struggling with for 12 years is, am I supposed to start this? And it's more like, no, it's already happening. You get to join it and just enjoy it. So I've tried so many times to get this thing going with this idea of victory in Jesus. And it just doesn't, like, I don't know how to get people free. But then I see that God has given, you know, love, reality, and and death to life, the very simple formula. You're already free. (laughs) You're already healed. You don't got to look for it. It's right here. It's in front of you. I'm offering it to you. All you got to do is take it. And you know, and stop trying to do it. You got to quit doing it yourself, though. I can't put it in your hands with your hands occupied doing, trying to do it for yourself. You got to have open hands and stop and just move into that received posture with God. He wants to. It's his heart to want to give it to me. He doesn't, he's never been holding it from me. I've been running. I've been trying to earn. Earning is the very thing that positions me outside of what God can do for me. So, so we talk, we talk probably for like an hour and the first, you know, those pleasantries like, Hey man, oh, <laughs> cool. What's going on, bro? And oh yeah, man. And we talk about basketball a little bit. Yeah, we played basketball. And then you start unwinding this story in a lot less detail, but just this crazy life experience that you've had. And I'm listening and I'm like, Oh, Wow. I think what I asked you was like, do you understand freedom from sin? And you're like, man, you're you're so humble. You're you're just like, tell me. You're like, well, <laughs> talk to me about it, man. Let's go. Like, tell me about it. And I was like, well, I mean, this is where we start. We always start with Romans six. Uh, we start with our relationship to sin. And I think you had heard some of it in Tyler's podcast, but you like, it's a thing that you're like, yes, yes, this is right. But you don't know why it's right or how it's right. (laughs) Yes. You just, you just know that it is right. And you're like, they're on it. And so we start talking and, 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 and praise the Lord. You have been blessed by this podcast and since that conversation on December 11 
what has been going on? What has been opening up? What have you been receiving? Because I feel like almost every single conversation we've had, something else is being added. Yeah. Talk, to, say, talk me through that. Yeah. The first layer is rest. That's the word that kept coming up. God gives me words often in these, like, and I'll know when I'm in a season because a word will keep coming up. So the first season when you hear this is rest. You can, you're so weary from trying to earn. And even in, in your best intention, if you don't understand God's heart for you or what he, why he had to do it all, it's because it's, it's something no person could ever achieve. Jesus had to come do it himself. <laughs> like, so you have to get out of that mindset and you just got to sit still with him. And so, and you just, you just like a rinse in your mouth that's taken something away. I, I just went through a throat surgery and they had this rinse that would numb. It was painful. So I had to numb and slow down that insatiable desire to earn from God what was already mine and just resonate with that every day. Sit in secret place with the Father and just be in thanks. Wow. Wow. I just get to sit with you. I'm not here to do something. I get to enjoy you. We enjoy each other's presence. Whitney and I love sharing each other's presence. We love nothing more than just sitting on the couch. It's a reflection in a dimension of that. It's the same relationship. No, I just want to be around you. Like that's, that's enough for me. We, we don't need to be doing anything. I just enjoy who you are and to, to be like, and then all these other areas unlock, um, him enjoying who I am. Well, well, who do you say I am, God? And you guys started, the Love Reality team starts unpacking that for me. Well, what does scripture say? You're holy, blame, blameless, holy, yeah. And blameless righteous. and above reproach, Colossians yeah. 121, yeah. Holy, blameless, holy, blameless above reproach. And above, above reproach. And for the first time in my life, I was able to say the words, I'm righteous. I could never do it. I've been in this mindset, I've got to say I'm an addict. I got to say I'm a sinner and I've it's been this crazy false humility trip I've been on for years now of um you know posturing myself like in a a cowering position in front of God thinking that he needs me to be in that position it's again me doing I got to get in the right position here for God to to position his grace or his righteousness his righteous character on me no these are all things that Jesus accomplished yeah <laughs> You just enjoy it. It's your new name. You're righteous. It's a place you live out of. It's an abundance you have flowing towards you constantly and out of you because the Spirit is in you. And then, and then it was adding the layer of, wow, the Spirit's in me? What can that accomplish? What what does He want to do with that? How do I, like, do I need to be getting out of the way? Is that what I do? It's learning all these, and then you guys are... Um, um, unpacking all kinds of now, just if you ever in question, just retreat back to the secret place. You, Chris, just get out of the do thing. Can you get out of your own way for a minute and just um, enjoy? And and so a lot of this is just rest and waiting. And these in, then these incredible outbursts happen. These moments, like where I get, I finally um. Whitney knows I'm really getting down with the podcast. We're down in Florida for vacation and I'm consuming this. I, I'm running at one and a half speed. I've got to get through them. I want to hear it. And I'm just, every person adds something for me. I'm hearing things and stuff is getting unlocked and I'm just on fire. And 
I'm trying to speak it. And that's like the next phase you go through. You try to, you just want to tell everybody you're so excited, but there's some of that leftover, like it's muscle memory. Um, I'm still in this crazy mortal shell and there's like muscles and brain cells that remember things. I'm not, and it's not sinfulness in me. I'm just, I'm so eager to let y'all know. And I could, then I, I just heard Jesus voice over and over speaking. He just wants to tell everyone about me. He was talking, was, there was a side thing that was said to that council I went in front of. They were like, oh, I remember what they, so one of the people at the council back in this vision I had or whatever it was, if anybody has any insight for me, I'd love to hear it. So one of them says, are you going to seal it up for him? Or are you going to like, are you going to like zip his lips? And she's like, no. I'm not going to take the best thing. One of the great things about him, he he wants nothing more than just to talk about me. And I'm going to let him remember it. I think there was some type of discussion about what was going to happen about me remembering what I had seen. So, so yeah. As, as you're listening to this, like, and you're hearing the stories, now you want to, you want to talk about it. I do. Um, so much. And... I, Someone was I making start, fun of us. The, they were like, they were making fun of us. They're like, if we share the gospel now, do we have to use the words dope and dog? The way <laughs> and bro? You and I was like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is just a new millennial way of, of, of talking about the gospel. And, and well, I'm that's, like, no, that's just, that's that's just how we other, talk no, sometimes. This is one of the other things I heard. That I know that Jesus spoke to me. He, he said, I would know it would be very informal. None of this dress shirts and you know, it was going to feel real. It was going to be like real people were. It wasn't a, a show. There was no dog and pony thing happening. This just gutty, gutty, gritty, real. Like, and I had always known in my heart when I hear about people beating, uh, let me change that word, getting free <laughs> of porn, which is like the plague, by the way. I'm not going to out how bad it is, but it's bad. For all, like almost everybody I know, it's just ruining marriages and lives. Just, and I do, like, that's some of the stuff I've been doing. I have groups. I'm open about what I've gone through, what I'm still going through. Like, I talk to my guys. And so people know I'm a place that's that's safe. And so I hear a lot about what's going on. So I know how bad this is. So when I hear people getting free of that, the one thing people aren't getting free of I knew my my saviors at work, and I've held his hands. I've seen the na nail prints. I've felt that gaze. I know my savior's voice, and I know when people are speaking with his voice. What What did Whitney say as 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 you're starting to to watch the videos and and did she notice something about you changing, or was she just like the thing that's changing is now that he's only listening to this? He's only, he's like obsessed with this thing. Whitney knows me really well. Our spouses know us well, don't they? Yeah, <laughs> and absolutely. I think she was hesitant at first because she's seen me get into some stuff. She knows how excited I am about victory in Jesus. And we've walked through it together. But Whitney just, I think even a year ago, Whitney and I had a heart-to-heart, -heart, and it's just heartbreaking. She's struggled to feel the realness of a relationship with God. She's just like, it's, it's outside somewhere out there. It's not right here. And I've always my, I've been heartbroken because I can't, I've had this experience. I've literally, I don't know, in the spirit or whatever, touched Jesus' hands and 
Pat heard his voice, something that anybody else I'm sure would just do anything to have. And I can't confer it. I can't give it to her. But I start sharing this victory in Jesus. And I share what I'm learning. I'm like, wow, like when I found out about Tyler's uh, approval addiction, it really made a lot of sense to me. I'm an affirmation junkie. I finally, poor Whitney, she, she knows I'm kind of like a fad person, but she she does humor me and she's so loving and she goes ahead and is like, okay, well, I'll listen to a few podcasts. And she's not, not obviously not going to get down with Tyler because we both are like start at number one and work your way through. And she kind of like, she, the first time that I got a hint that something was happening, she, she listened to Morgan. She's like, that's my my dog <laughs> what does she, she's not gonna like that I, I can't remember it was like that's 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 we're a, we're a lot alike i get that and then um shout out to serena something happened big when she listened to serena um and then the changes start coming in our marriage and i know it's like oh really chris and two and a half three months will believe me 10 years of patterns you know when something's way different you know, when you're no longer looking to your spouse for affirmation and you're diving into secret place to, to get what you need for your day and then going and flowing abundance into each other and speaking life and having moments where you, where you normally will sidetrack into a fight and divert, like in divert into misunderstand. Well, we don't really have fights as much as we misunderstand each other. And it just, it just spirals. We'll have the spiral of misunderstanding and it, it just, it stopped happening, Rich. These are miracles. This is deliverance. This is true miracles. And just lifting each other up in prayer. And it's been it's been the greatest. It's all I could have ever asked for. And I I love you guys on Love Reality and Death of Life. Um, you get like it was one thing to help me, but when you did it for my spouse, when you just simply broke the bread without asking anything back, I love you guys. I love every person who told their story. I'm so grateful to each one. I know it's Christ. I'm just really thanking the Holy Spirit really is what I'm doing. It's Christ in you. Christ in us, the hope of glory. He does all this. Yeah, man. Erica's episode just came out today. Um, and if you're listening to to this episode, probably like six weeks ago or five weeks ago, Erica's episode came out. And uh, in that episode, uh, a lady named Danique is, is mentioned in it. And she texted me this morning. And it's kind of like, I just want to say, thank you for being faithful to his faithfulness. Mm. Like, thank you for still believing that he is good, even though the circumstances of life said that he wasn't. Or thank you for still believing that he's good, even though it didn't feel like he was good or that a loved one passed. Or, um, because when Jesus comes back, is he going to find people that still believe that he's good? This is what this thing is all about, right? It's, and we use this all the time, but it's, it's the great controversy of God's character. Mm. It's, do we still believe that he is who he says he is? Because the accuser says that he isn't, and the accuser says that we're not. And when people still believe that he's good, even though, even though, a tent falls on their children and their livestock get destroyed. Do they st- and their homies come over and say, curse God and die. Do they still believe that 
he is good. And so when you're saying, man, thank you to, you know, the people that have come on here and, and, and been sh- and shared their story. I hear you saying, thank you for being faithful to his faithfulness, that, that believing that he still is. And the only way you believe that is if you're loved, man. The yeah. only way you can even say that Jesus is Lord is through the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's it. And so, man, no, it, it, it's not like this is not something that we can boast of ourselves. It's that we were loved enough to believe that this stuff is is good. And Chris, you and I have a lot of things in common. One of those things is this fad stuff, probably. <laughs> like I've, ju- I've I've jumped from this to that to this to that, man. But this is not a fad. The truth is just becoming more and more foundational. You've been you've been walking in this freedom. Now, in the last three months, like you're seeing that the words are being put to it, and you're actually seeing what freedom goes, how it goes into rights how it goes into living without offense, how it goes into loving your spouse. And it's not a fad, dude, because you're a different dude. Like, you're a different person. And, um, no, man, it's exciting to see. So what I was going to ask is, is if we look from high above at this Chris Wetmore guy from, man, just hearing the story, hearing the story of you as a child and, and I want to make sure to give a shout out to your parents who are wonderful, God-fearing people and were doing their very best. And it's easy for us to hear stories and to judge and to say, well, I wouldn't have done this with my son. I wouldn't have walked him out the house or I wouldn't have da 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 But we believe that the Holy Spirit was working through your mother and your father and that God has worked all things beautifully in his time. And I know you have a beautiful relationship with them. And there's no weirdness on any of this. Like God is working, like he can only give us the information we need at that time, you know. And so I just want to make sure that that is understood, that your parents, um, wonderful, beautiful, God-fearing people. But as you... They've received this. Mom is listening to the the podcast. (laughs) I mean, she... I, I was able to show them Colossians 2 and and my dad, my folks had no idea that our sinful nature at baptism is cut off by spiritual procedure. You are no longer sin waiting to happen. Like I've been able to share, my parents have taught me my whole life and been the, the giants I live, look up to. And now I like these incredible truths, I get to share them and we're all receiving it together at the same time. It's just a dream come true, Rich. Like me, mom, dad, Whitney, uh, we're all journeying at about the yeah, same man. pace. But but what was the thing, like I said, I got on the tangent because I want to make sure to honor your parents. If we're looking down at your life, big picture, the thing that you were looking for and thirst, thirsting for for so long that now you have found finished in Jesus. So thirsty. Now I don't understand why the woman, why he offered the woman at the well living water. We are all so thirsty and parched in a weary land. And I just wanted to know I was his kid no matter what I'd done. I just, I know it's simple that, you know, I mean, dad, 
dad had to walk me to the edge of that property and it saved my life. It was the, one of the pivotal moments. That was a God moment. And, and a lot of times as human beings, we struggle because our, with our emotions and, and times like that to convey that we're still love for each other. And God just so perfectly has opened up to me his beautiful face of love to me that there's nothing that could I could ever do, just like Roman says, to ever separate myself from that love. And it's been a fear. He's conquered a fear. I've been afraid of myself. I've known the wickedness in my own heart and been afraid of that. And he's been like, I was never afraid of it. I conquered it. <laughs> you don't have to be afraid of yourself. Just the Bible just unlocks. It just... We don't have to fear anything. I just go right to the word if I'm struggling in a day over what the message is or what I'm supposed to think. I'm no longer struggling with that churn inside of my head that I was talking about, that constant self-deprecation. I think his thoughts, they're right there for me. I just reach out and grab them because they're constantly flowing at me from him. His thoughts to prosper me, not harm me, to to give me a, a hope and a future, to, to let me be a demonstration of his son's love, that his son is demonstrating the father's love, that we're all just this big, beautiful circle that continues to go round and round glorifying each other. None of the Godhead glorifies himself. They always glorify another member. And now I'm just in, I'm moved out of myself and I'm just looking up constantly. No more this, this navel gazing, this belly looking I can take my eyes off myself and that's the 20,000 foot view for me is my eyes are on Jesus now. I'm no longer looking to my performance. It's, it is freedom. It's complete freedom. I love it, bro. Thank you so much for coming on. Got me singing like glory. Yeah, it got me telling my story. Know that your love is pouring on me And love is pouring on me River flowing in and never ends More than life, more than me, more than just pretend And you can feel the freedom from within Free to fly, be the child that you always been yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the show today We would love it if you could share this So that people could hear uh, more of these stories And a way you can do that is to rate us on Apple Podcasts, give us a high rating. If, if you give us less than a five star, I'm inclined to believe that you're not really rocking with us. So give us a five star rating and, and throw a comment in there. If you're going to talk about us on social media, go ahead and use the hashtag death to life and let's get that hashtag going. This podcast is a production of Love Reality. And if you want more information about Love Reality, go ahead and check us out at lovereality.org. This show's produced by Tyler Morrison and Katie Prusha. The sound and editing is done by Addison Collingsworth and Eddie Cornejo. And then the Johnny on the spot is Annabelle Harper. And the artwork is done by Felix Gassman. Thank you so much for listening. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all.